there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right. It is Advanced Medicine Monday, and we're back. Well, I'm not back totally yet. I'm in my remote studio. Dr. Batar is at the home studio. Get ready for another week of broadcast healing here. Uh, Dr. Batar, again, thanks so much for hosting us for the Advanced Medicine Seminar last week. We're still having a great time and still hearing from some of the docs, particularly Dr. Irvin Sani, a friend of Ty's, who's excited like a school kid about all the things he learned. Yeah, he's a new convert. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a dangerous thing, but no, we're enjoying it. And it's it, it's like an exciting thing when you open up the healing coming from within the medical profession. Now, we just viewed offline here a video on te- on television news in New Orleans. Kim Ritchie Spencer was one of the – she's one of the thinking moms from the Thinking Moms Revolution. And, you know, I met her a couple of times at uh, the Autism One and had her on the show. And she debated a doctor on a New Orleans television station. Pretty astonishing what we just witnessed. Yes, it was actually, and I think she, as a as a non medical person, handled herself extremely well and very confidently. And she was way more accurate than the physician. I don't know whether it was actually a, a medical doctor or a psychologist. Yeah, it was a a, me- a, psychologist. a medical doctor who is a, a psychologist associated with autism, delivering behavioral therapies. But she was very much in the camp of any doctor that looks at vaccines with uh, a, you know, a critical eye cannot be looked at in this way, and we can't consider that there are vaccine dangers. In other words, the, the science is done, it's settled, there is no autism from vaccines. And I, th- I think her name was Dr. Boggs. But I, th- this, to me, is the closed-mindedness of the medical profession that gives it all a bad name. Well, it's not even the closed-mindedness. She was blatantly wrong in what she said. I mean, what she said, what she spewed out of her mouth was blatantly wrong. It was a, either a, a lie that she had preconceived before the show mm-hmm. or she's completely ignorant of the facts because she said there are studies that have been done over and over and over. Most of those studies were shown to be flawed. And in fact, some of those studies, the researchers themselves, while conducting the study, found a correlation quite opposite of what they were told to find and what they were instructed to find and what they expected to find. A perfect example is Brubaker. At the NIH, he was given an assignment to do a study using the monkey model to establish the safety of thimerosal and the lack of correlation between thimerosal and autism. And in fact, he not only found that there was a correlation, he found it that there would be such a statistically significant correlation that the conclusion was that thimerosal actually did cause autism. The problem was that that was not the message that the NIH wanted to put out. In fact, they were expecting him to find something that proved that there was no correlation. And when he reported his findings, they tried to dissuade him from trying to release this information. Apparently, one of the higher-ups at the NIH gave a presentation using his data and sent him to some other place and completely gave the wrong information. This was a huge, huge uh, issue with um, breach of ethical fiduciary responsibility researchers because what they happened, what what actually happened was that they tried to prevent Brubaker from 
putting this information out. And I think the mainstream obviously did not pick it up, but then Brubaker ended up leaving the NIH. I don't know all the details specifically, but a lot of this information is on the internet and there are some reports regarding what happened. But the point is that there have been many studies that have been done that have, when, when analyzed, they have been shown to be absolute farces. For example, the Denmark study, where they said that they took thimerosal out of vaccines and then they conducted the study to show that even though vaccines no longer had thimerosal, that the incidence of autism increased. Well, what they don't tell you is what they did was in the beginning group, when they were looking at the time frame, in the earlier group, what they did was just looked at all cases of autism. But as they went on in time and they took the vaccine out, excuse me, I meant when they took the thimerosal out, the study data showed that as time went on, as it took the thimerosal out of these vaccines, the incidence of autism actually increased. So they were trying to show that the increase correlation in the incidence of autism was actually after they took the thimerosal out, as if to indicate that uh, a thimerosal had some type of a benefit. But in actuality, what they were doing was they totally skewed the data by only looking at the population. This is as time went on. They went from all cases of autism to graduating it to only institutionalized children. They were only looking at the children that had been institutionalized for autism. So, of course, there's a higher correlation with the uh, incidence of autism in this group where you're only looking at a small population that's the worst of the group, which had to be institutionalized. They weren't looking at apples compared to apples. They were looking at two completely different patient populations. In the beginning, to show that there was a lesser incidence of autism with the thimerosal group, they only looked at children that had, that, that all the children that had the diagnosis. But when they were comparing it to the aftermath after these children had supposedly had thimerosal taken out of the vaccines, they were only looking at children that had already been damaged that were already in institutions. So it's a much smaller population, but you can take the thimerosal out of the vaccines of that small little group. They've already been injured. They're already in an institution because they are so difficult to take care of. So the Data was skewed. They looked at this huge group versus a small little group and then showed when you take thimerosal out, there's an in- increase in incidence of autism. I mean, that is the height of ethical breachment. Hmm. I was thinking a- of the word audacity. I mean, the audacity yeah. to actually claim that mercury could be good for neurological issues. And da- I mean, it's, it's absolutely – that's where this Dr. Boggs in this audio – we have the clip linked up at robertscottbell.com in the, in the show notes as well. One of our listeners wanted us to comment, Dr. Batar particularly – to comment on what this doctor was saying. And I, I'm just saying, the being asleep or unconscious, it doesn't describe what this doctor is doing. It's almost like malicious intent. Well, it's one of two things. It's either evil that's perpetuated by some type of a reward that this woman, this Dr. Boggs, is thinking she's going to get or she's been promised, or it's absolute, unadulterated, pure stupidity and ignorance and lack of knowledge of what the truth is. Mm. And I, I would say that a person that is as adamant as she is, it would have to be the former rather than the latter. Because the latter, you know, the when, when you're ignorant of something and somebody tries to give you the right information, you're going to either question it or you're going to try to want to know where you went wrong to at least save face or to have some type of uh, dignity, you know, for your own benefit. But she didn't care. She just kept on blatantly going on and and making statements that just weren't true. Yeah, and at the end of the interview, they actually had in their closing statements, what do you want to say? She actually went after uh, uh, medical intervention treatments like uh, chelation, saying how dangerous it was. And Kim Ritchie Spencer rightfully said, are you kidding me? 
do you see what what when these vaccines are given in multiple doses of the the drugs themselves all of these other things and that's another aspect something we have countered here on advanced medicine monday together the whole uh illusion that chelation is the most dangerous thing medical doctors can do right and she said one death the mother said there's only been one death and the doctor's response or the phd's response was no two deaths you know, I don't care if it was 10 deaths compared to the 100,000 per year yeah. from the psychotropic drugs and some of these other components that people are being pushed into. I mean, it's unbelievable. If you get one side effect, and by the way, the child that did die in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. they died because of the wrong drug given the wrong way. And you take anything, you can take aspirin the wrong way, Tylenol the wrong way, and it can kill you. You get up in the morning and cross the road uh, in, and don't look to the right and to the left, that will kill you. I mean, it's just it's just an absurdity to even try to make a comparison between a death related to chelation. And, and by the way, I know a lot about that particular case because I was asked to be an expert witness for the doctor that actually caused a death. And I told his attorney, I said, are you kidding me? You want me to, to be an expert witness for the doctor who I have been promoting five years that you should not be doing chelation this way? Wow. I mean, the doctor did it wrong. And it was just, I mean, he did a two-minute IV push, and he was using the, the wrong medication for the child. It, it's not the right form of EDTA. Anyway, that, that's a different story. But, 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 but then again, but there's such intellectual dishonesty in reporting this as meaning that echelation is dangerous, and that's the way it's reported because it suits the agenda. It's still no different than the Second Amendment issue, that guns are dangerous and people should, be, should have the guns taken away. You know, the people that go out and cause harm that go out and commit crimes with guns they're not obtaining guns legally in the first place and it's not the tool it's the people it's like saying Uh that spoons are bad because they cause obesity it is the most absurd argument guns are a tool just like a spoon is a tool chelation is a tool it's not the tool that's the problem it's the person or the lack of the knowledge of the person using the tool or the intent of the person that's using the tool that makes something right or wrong good or bad well, there you have it. The only place in broadcast media where you will have chelation therapy compared to the Second Amendment and gun rights. Dr. Vitar, well said, well said. I want to take our first break here. I'm glad we're together. Remember, Medical Rewind, you can go back 100-plus hours of audio uh, that is quite extraordinary, unlike anything else you'll ever hear. And we've got some really exciting things. There's some other questions coming in. One big question we're going to try to get to that will lead into the exciting developments of the release of the AHEAD map soon, and we've talked about that on the air as well. But uh, stand by. The Advanced Medicine Monday version of the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashid Bittar continues after this break. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, back at it. Advanced Medicine Monday continues here with Dr. Rashid Bittar. We were just discussing this this video thing. I was stunned that it was even on the air on the news. It's a debate between a a doctor, MD, PhD, psychologist kind of gal claiming that it's all about behavioral therapy. And, you know, you love it when doctors say evidence-based medicine, evidence-based medicine. It's like they're bashing you over the head with a big stick, especially the parents. You don't know what evidence-based medicine is, Dr. Batar. Yeah, the evidence-based medicine has been one of those real irritating topics because they've taken a term that was not mainstream medicines. It was something that was based upon 
natural integrative therapies that doctors are doing, and they talked about it as the evidence suggests that we should be looking at X, Y, and Z. And that's where the term evidence-based actually started. But as with most things, the you know all truths go through three phases, Robert, as we've discussed before. This, the first phase is ridicule. The second phase is violent opposition. And then the third phase is accepting it as always having been their own, meaning that they accept it as, oh, well, we already knew that, but they <laughs> ignore the first two historical phases. And this has been the same case with this phrase evidence-based medicine because it wasn't mainstream medicine's terminology. They they took the term evidence-based medicine and redefined it as a double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-centered trial type of ideology as opposed to really what it's supposed to be, which is just based upon evidence. The definition of science as per Plato, I believe it was, or maybe it was Hippocrates, I'm pretty sure it was Plato, the definition of science was initially an observation. Then you start to look at that observation, seeing how many times does it reoccur. Then you formulate a hypothesis based upon that reoccurrence. And then you test that hypothesis to see how many times has that recurred and if it's significant or not. And that is really the definition of science. Nowhere has the definition of science ever been this double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-centered trial thought process. I think the the ideology behind it is and, and the defense for it is that while well, we have to take out all the variables and we have to take out placebos and we have to make sure we isolate the specific pertinent facts. But the problem is what is pertinent? Because if you take out an active ingredient from um, a natural substance that has been shown to have a clinical benefit and you isolate that one substance that we think is what it is and then when we use it as with most drugs we see that it doesn't work that's where most drugs started from they started from some type of a natural basis but it's the entire fruit or the entire vegetable or the entire herb or whatever it is that right. seems to work in its in its entirety not in its isolated fragments so it's kind of like taking a work of literature and looking at the alphabets that create it and trying to isolate the effectiveness of that literature to get the message across by trying to look at the letters because you will never get the idea across in letters. We've talked about very simply the the uh, concept of a house having built, been built from bricks. Well, a house is made up of bricks. Similarly, uh, science is built up upon facts. But what the double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-centered trial methodology does is it isolates these facts, and then from those facts, they say this is science. But facts make up no more science than a pile of bricks make up, makes up a house. Well, in other words, you, you have to put them together in some kind of causal perspective, and it seems like those that claim the mantle of evidence-based medicine are making sure that those bricks don't result in a house. Exactly. Exactly. I think that the perhaps the agenda for the lower echelons is not to prevent it from actually formulating new, real science, but certainly the agenda on the people that are high on top that know what's going on, their agenda, I believe, is, again, that misinformation. And, you know, placebo-controlled, that's one of the biggest farces out there, too. Placebo-controlled, they want to eliminate the effect of placebo. Well, here's my question. Why are we trying to eliminate the effect of placebo? Oh, even though that has no relevance to the topic we're talking about right now, this is just an example of yes. how mainstream medicine tries to negate and ridicule and, and minimize certain aspects. So when you start to look at placebo control uh, component in an evidence-based 
double-blind, placebo-controlled, crossover, multi-centered ideology. My question is, why are we trying to eliminate the placebo effect? Because the placebo effect is probably one of the greatest gifts that the creator has given us. If we can elicit a response and it is placebo, why should we not, as clinicians, utilize that placebo advance? Because the one thing about placebo we know is it doesn't hurt anybody. Right, right. It all it is really extraordinary when we hit the placebo issue, uh, because it, it's sort of like discarded as something that's like an artifact and an anomaly. In fact, that you wouldn't want it. And I'm thinking, if you care about healing and you can heal somebody with placebo, I'm thinking, isn't that a good thing? Absolutely. And the thing is, though, it's not it's not minimalized that way, Robert. Anymore, it's mm-hmm. almost demonized. Like a placebo yes. is a bad thing. Right, right. And and I think in terms of, let's say if you're running one of those, you say it so well, double-blind, placebo-control, crossover, all of those words that kind of confuse everybody out there. Uh, and if you run one of those things, how can you truly eliminate placebo totally? I know they're trying to, but come on. As humans, if you have a perception of, oh, I like the person that's conducting this test or I don't like the person that's – that's going to impact the trial right then and there. You can't eliminate everything. Well, that's really true, and that's one reason when they said double-blind is supposed to be blinded to the uh, study participant as well as the study investigator, but it's still impossible to really do that because, well, let's say that you are able to effectively do that. Again, the Mm -hmm. bottom line is that the output that you're going to get is going to be so fragmented and so isolated that it's not going to work. In the planet Earth, everything seems to work based upon synergism. And you right. have multiple things that work in conjunction with each other. And when you isolate these things individually, you're not going to get that synergistic effect any longer. So we know that this is from a positive and a negative effect. The synergism is there. For example, LD1 of mercury and LD1 of lead causes an LD100 in the same patient population. So that's a destructive synergistic component versus, you know, you take um, – uh, a, a certain vitamin, you take B12 and then you put B12 with folate, you're going to have a synergistic benefit when you use right, right. the B vitamins Very all well together said. in cohorts. So the the first point is, you know, why are we isolating it? And two, as you said, the placebo aspect is something that should be not minimalized and demonized, but in fact, mm-hmm. it should be accentuated and we should try to capture as many placebo uh, outcomes as we possibly can. And if there is a placebo benefit to the individual, the most important thing to remember is that it comes back to that adage, the way we end the show every day, the power to heal is yours. If you are getting a benefit from a placebo, you are healing yourself because it's your yes. own mind overcoming the the somatic aspect. I mean, it's... The- but it, it, Dr. Pitar, the, the whole idea of discounting or discarding the placebo, I mean, it seems to me it's like trying to turn humans into robots. You know, it's eliminating spirit, soul, that, that, that intangible, tangible that we talk about here that we embrace and we don't fear. That right. these so-called reductionist scientists that only want to see molecules and explain the chemical interactions are devoid of that life force. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting point you just brought up because you made me think of something because I give a lecture and I'll be doing this in Cancun next week. Um, We're going to be talking a lot about this, that the single most important thing, and Robert, you've heard me talk about this advanced medicine seminars before, the single most important thing is belief, right? Yes. And Mm -hmm. I say that when people say, well, no, God or love, and I say, no, it's not God, it's not love, it's not family, it's not your kids, it's belief. And people look at me and then I go through 
and you've seen me do this where I go through each point and I've proved that belief is the most important because God yes. can't be the most important thing in your life if you don't believe that there is a God. Exactly. Kids can't be the most important thing in your life if you don't believe that you, your purpose here on the planet is to take care of your children or whatever it is. Belief is the number one thing. And think about this for a second. What you just said made me realize that when they minimize or negate or demonize placebo, they are actually attacking your belief. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. I just realized that. Coming full circle. And that is, that's why I say everything is about freedom. And, I, and if we talk in terms of defining freedom, religious freedom, spiritual freedom, however you want to do. And, 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 you know, when I come back to the freedom to heal, I said, stop, you know, arguing for medical freedom and argue for religious and spiritual freedom. Because that's the one place where the First Amendment is something that the government is loath to really go head on and attack like they attack the other amendments. So it's an interesting aspect of a strategy strategy moving forward. Absolutely. And I appreciate you bringing that up and making that point for whatever reason it came to the forefront when you made that comment, because I've never thought of it that way before, that placebo or attacking placebo is actually attacking your belief. Yes, absolutely. Now, I want to go back briefly to the evidence-based medicine concept, because in the video that on that news thing with the debate between the doctor and Kim Ritchie Spencer, the Thinking Moms Revolution, uh, you know, the doctor talks in, in terms of, oh, you do these studies, and we've proven that thimerosal doesn't cause uh, the autism, and it's been proven. And pro- they keep saying it over, but uh, Kim, hey, she had the posture. She was strong. She stayed with the actual evidence of the observation of the Thinking Moms all coming together and saying, we see this in common in all of our children. Exactly. And that, I think, it was a strength in it because one of the things that we talk about, again, with evidence-based medicine, it means it's based upon the evidence. And the evidence there was very clear. There were 24 families. They looked at the commonalities. They came with their, um, with their um, preconceptions uh, aside, yes. and they looked at just they observed what were the commonalities. And the commonalities were the vaccine. The commonalities were the environmental triggers. And so she really did do a good job in, in not only defending that, but also making the other person, the, the, the PhD, mm-hmm. sort of look ridiculous. And if you look at just the body demeanor between the two, the mom was very relaxed. She was very confident. The other lady looked like you know she was very rigid, and if the wind blew the wrong way, uh, mm-hmm. she would break in half. Yeah, I think she was uh, disappointed or, or taken aback because the razzle-dazzle of the authority, I'm the doctor, you're just a mom, uh, you know, I'm throwing out these scientific things, and she wouldn't back down because Kim had read, and it was well-schooled or perhaps more well-schooled on the, on the actual facts in this case, uh, so it, it caused the doctor to kind of wobble, and you could see it visually in that video, and we have it linked up in the show notes, of course, at robertscottbell.com. Right. Now, the, uh, the, the other thing, Dr. Pitar, I'm sorry, the, uh, when we come about, the, you've talked about this before many times over the course of our advanced medicine seminars, the idea of science, uh, we talk about observation, hypothesizing, then seeing we can prove or disprove it. But then this lady's trying to throw a bunch of facts at the mom, and you've said it this way as well, the facts don't make uh, science any more than a bunch of bricks make a house if they're just lying down as a bunch of bricks. Right, right. The razzle-dazzle effect that you just mentioned, you know, this is part of the entire process, I think, of minimalizing the placebo and getting away Mm -hmm. from the truth, which is evidence-based, because they're causing that uh, extreme 
the the word would be distraction, I guess. They yeah, yeah, distraction, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To to throw off people by the razzle dazzle effect, using words that are more in the medical realm and not commonly used, like iatrogenic. You know, somebody says iatrogenic. We've talked about that before. We have our own term, meaning the doctor induced. So we have our own language, and so what they do is they'll try to use the 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 certain words that may be confusing to the lay audience and they will create this razzle dazzle to cause a distraction to throw people off the track and to make them lose the confidence but obviously this mom it didn't phase her and she knew the information better and then right. this comes back to that that old adage and again coming back to i hate can keep on coming back to the term <laughs> that you know we close the show with the power to heal yes. is yours but really think about that when you give yourself knowledge when you empower yourself with knowledge you have now uh, an ability to understand what's going on and and that empowering of that knowledge allows you to abstain from this deception the distractions the misinformation and allows you to stay focused on the path and and gives you the you know i, I don't even know how better to say that it gives you the power to do yes. what you need to do in order to get to the destination that you're desiring to get to and in this particular case the destination is to create a world that's better for our children better for our future generations and immediately deal with the concerns that are close to our heart which is our children that are being affected by this by this toxicity which we've mislabeled as a disease yeah amen well listen we're going to take a break when we come back i want to talk about the finale of that video again linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com if you ever miss and Advanced Medicine Monday, they're all available to you very simply for download for free at medicalrewind.com. Of course, uh, the issue of chelation, this is the thing. We've, Dr. Batar and I have covered this. There's an interesting uh, perspective here that this lady tried to razzle-dazzle the mom, but she wasn't having none of it. <laughs> and we're going to cover that and more after the break right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday version with Dr. Batar. The Robert Scott Bell Show. <laughs> Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, back at it with Dr. Bittar now. Uh, on the finale of this, and everybody check it out. The link's up. It's an interview. Uh, Kim Ritchie Spencer is one of the Thinking Moms Revolution gals. She's wonderful. We've interviewed her here versus this doctor on a New Orleans television station actually having a debate. And toward the end of this video, you'll see, give the last statements, and suddenly the doctor goes on this sort of tirade against these biological interventions from medicine, and particularly she picks out chelation and says how dangerous it is, Dr. Batar. We've covered it, but it's time to review it based on what this lady said. Right. Well, she quotes this uh, death, and she said there have been two deaths. Uh, you know, it's interesting, the defense. The mom states, well, there's only been one death. And the uh, provider, the Ph.D., says, no, there's been two deaths. As if, okay, one death versus two deaths, that that's a big deal compared to the 100,000 deaths a year from psychotropic drugs and some of these other interventions and uh, over a quarter million deaths as have been attributed to just iatrogenic causation. So nobody talks about a quarter of a million deaths every year. They're just talking about one death or two deaths related to a specific treatment in the entire history of that particular treatment. Now, you know, this particular case, the one death that the mom said, because she's accurate, it's only been one death in a child. And that one death, I happen to know a lot about that particular case because I was asked to be an expert witness in the case to defend that doctor. And I actually 
told his defense attorneys, are you serious? You're going to ask me to try to be an expert witness in this guy's case when I have been saying for the last five years that this particular method of utilization of this therapy is extremely dangerous and shouldn't be done? It has nothing to do with the treatment. It has to do with the operator. This is no different than saying that the uh, guns are a bad thing and mm-hmm. that we should actually eliminate guns. It's, it's the same thing as a Second Amendment right, Robert. It, right. It, yeah, it, you guns. described that earlier. I, it's such a profound discussion to recognize that even in medical treatment, uh, you know, look, we can look at drugs, and we've talked about the, the badness of them, uh, but utilizing them appropriately, very short burst, get it through it, you have an appropriate means. You're not typically going to die from it, although what's happened is that we look at drugs as something now as not just a get through a crisis, but something that we put people on for life. Now you've altered this tool from something that could help you survive a crisis to something that can actually create 10 other crises. Exactly, exactly. And so the point is that the the tool itself is never the problem. I mean, to say that guns are bad and and the people that go out and commit crimes, I mean, we know already the people that commit crimes with guns aren't getting those guns legally in the first place. And to blame guns for violence Mm -hmm. is like blaming spoons for obesity. I saw that on the internet and I thought that was (laughs) hilarious, but that's actually the truth. And to blame um, this this particular child's death on on chelation and not blame the user who was doing – I mean, first of all, that IV treatment was done. They were using the the two-minute IV bolus methodology, which I have – in my entire career, for instance, the first time this was ever introduced in the last 10 years, it said that that's absolutely a violation of the nurse equation. It should never be utilized. There's no justification to elicit that quick of a physiological, biochemical change within the body. There's no reason to do this over a two-minute period. And the only counterpoint to the doctors that do do the the two-minute IV push is convenience of the patient. And I'm like, well, convenience of the patient, death is also convenient because then you don't have any appointments that you have to worry about. Oh, man, it's horrible. It's a a ridiculous uh, reason. But the point is that this provider tried to blame it on the that one treatment, and they had nothing to do with the treatment. It was a user. I mean, an aspirin can kill a person. You know that. Tylenol yes. is the largest cause for liver, liver failure. Liver failure. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the entire industrialized world, and these are over the counter things. But we never blame the person that's taking it. We, we, you know, we we're we just always blame it on the tool. And so, in, it's it's just not fair to mm-hmm. even try to make that equation. It's ca- comparing an ant to a Learjet. It's just not even. No, and especially when you know firsthand that chelation is life-saving, an intervention that can reduce the the toxicity over time. Now, some people, you mentioned also the time frame, bolus dosing, like, bam. You know, that's always dangerous unless it's appropriately used. Like, I talk about bolus dosing silver for food poisoning. That's safe and appropriate. But uh, doing this uh, so-called chelation bolus to a child can be dangerous, and you recognize it. What about the length of time? to utilize the appropriate kind of chelation because you've had to recover your son, many children, and not every child is the same as every child. Each one has a different uh, need and as far as length of time or duration. Right, and sometimes, you know, it may be three months or four months. We've had children that have been used, that have been treated and have used the treatment for a relatively short period. There was one patient that uh, was actually treated by a different doctor using my protocol and in less than two weeks, her child went from being nonverbal, six or seven-year-old little girl to over 500 word vocabulary in less than two and a half weeks. And so we've had those type of results and we've had other people that's taken four or five years to get them to that point. But you know the, uh, the entire concept of the treatment modality 
you have to look at not only duration, you have to also look at the type of chelator. I mean, chelator is like a word like transportation. Transportation <laughs> yes. is very general. You, a tricycle is transportation, a Learjet's transportation, cars are transportation. Then you've got different types of cars, different types of airplanes, different types of bicycles, and you have to start getting into those things. So we are talking about duration is one, but you're also talking about the type of chelator. I mean, which chelators were they using? If they're using something like DMSA, it's highly contraindicated in my opinion. It's considered to be a neurotoxin in certain parts of the world. It's not a true chelator because it actually gets into the system and it's not inert. It gets utilized by the Krebs cycle and it's, it's a long involved process. But essentially the citric acid cycle is the method that the body uses to create energy and the adenosine triphosphate. And the largest substrate for that uh, energy production is a substance called citric acid. Um, I'm sorry, excuse me, succinic acid. And yes. succinic acid is morphologically identical to DMSA, dimercaptic succinic acid. The only difference is that there's two hydroxyl groups in succinic acid versus two sulfhydro groups in DMSA. So what happens is the body sees it as something that it can utilize and starts to utilize it, but the problem is it's picking up the wrong wrench and then basically everything mm -hmm. gets stuck because the wrench is the wrong wrench. I mean, but if, if, if we shorten the long story, because it gets technical, and I encourage everybody to go back and listen to some of our previous shows together, go to medicalrewind.com, because we've gone through a lot of the de details on these chelation questions, but it's appropriate to bring it up here because as that doctor tried to razzle-dazzle uh, one of the thinking moms with this idea that chelation is dangerous, you've analyzed, you've utilized, you know exactly the reason or why it would be and why it never would be based on what you're using and how you use it. And also, as I talk about the difference in each child, some responding within weeks, some months, some years, because if there's still mercury or heavy metals present in the body, if it takes what time it takes, you got to get it out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this razzle-dazzle is a very important point. And I, I don't know whether we already mentioned this, Robert, or not, but the fact that some doctors that have – there's a doctor up in the Northwest that mm – -hmm. Uh, treated his children with chelation and said that you know chelation didn't work. Well, what chelators did he use and what duration did he use them in? And so that razzle-dazzle effect again, you know, you take this one isolated case of somebody that either didn't do it long enough. And most people, you know, that's the problem. They just don't do this long enough. Did we talk about consistency already? No, no. I think that's an important point here to bring up that, it, you, you know, it's not just a one and out. Some people are still under the impression that all I have to do it is one time or, or, or two. I mean, you have seen cases that have responded very rapidly, but there are cases that have gone on for years before they get the remediation thereafter. There are two children, brother and sister from Louisiana, in fact, that we've treated over a course of probably four years now, maybe a little bit longer. And their initial RAP-TD scores... Uh, the RAP-TD is an assessment form that we use where the parents fill it in and gives us an objective uh, measurement of what the child state currently is and, and allows us to measure improvement or worsening. And their scores were like 650 and 630, something like that. And they're down to 125 and 145, some, somewhere down in the 100s. I mean, this is basically neurotypic. I mean, you can't really get much better than this. So, But it took them years to get to that point of treatment. And they're both mainstream schooled and, you know, both, there's no way you could really tell them being different from any other neurotypic child now. Yes. Um, they'd have some, you know, some social issues. And of course, that's because they had a development delay for years. And so, of course, they're going to be a little bit um, undeveloped from a social aspect. But they, that, that'll but, but what, what would you what would you assess that uh, is going on here. Was it just that the mercury was so just 
just held that finally they were able to un- un- unload it, if you will, and at that point they reached those levels of remediation. Well, it's not quite that simple, Robert. There's there's mm-hmm. a lot of different factors here. We were talking about biological individuality. We were talking about genetic predisposition. We are talking about the route of the metal. How did it cause the problem? You know, was it ethyl mercury? Was it methyl mercury? Uh, was it organic mercury, inorganic mercury? At what point in the development of the fetus were they affected? You know, how much mer- mercury mm-hmm. amalgam was in the mother, you know, in other words, the maternal Right, maternal mercury, yes. Yeah, there's so many different components. Just like everybody's DNA is different, everybody's going to respond differently. And some people may respond in a couple of days versus Mm -hmm. some people may respond, it may take them a decade. There's really no way of assessing that. It's, again, not a question of if it's going to work. It's a question of when when. is it going to work. And so you have to give it enough time to make sure that you don't just uh, create that illusion in your mind that, okay, this is a quick fix. You know, I go from point A to point B and then I'm done. You don't work out one no. time and then get the effects for the rest of your life. You don't change your oil in your car one time. Right. It's, a, it's a process, and the process is dependent upon the type of toxicity and the level of toxicity, the duration of toxicity, and that, that's what the issues are. Dr. Batar, going back to your beginning with your son, Abi, we were able to uh, come to attend the, the karate tournament, and I tell you what, he, and I'm not bragging on him just because it's you. We were there. I was talking to other parents, watching Abi and his forms. Stunning. It was so far superior to the other kids in the group. And the, ki- the kids were good. Don't get me wrong. But what he was doing, the moving energy. Now, knowing back, we've seen videos of him when he was damaged by the vaccine initially. The things you had to do to undo that. I'm seeing a kid that is not just fully functional, but is super functional in yeah, he, what he can do. That's what I've always said, that these children are superior uh, to their peer group. And I, I mean, some people would say, well, that's a irresponsible statement, but it's not because that's one reason the DVD on autism is not some type of uh, disease. It's autism, the misdiagnosis of our future generations, because the future generation that's going to allow us to take the same leaps and bounds, except to the next exponential quantum leap, that population that has taken us from the horse and cart age to the airplane and motor vehicle and internet and telephone age, that generation is the one, that, that uh, population, that subpopulation mm-hmm. is the one that genetically, cognitively, um, more well, able. Yeah, you, you've, you've talked about the, the alleles. I mean, it gets pretty technical and scientific, but basically that these kids are here to make some major changes on planet Earth. Right, and they have been very susceptible to the damage of mercury. And maybe there's a design, maybe not. But the point is, if we get these kids well, just like in your son and others that you've seen, they have tremendous gifts. Yeah, the raw cognitive ability of children that have been damaged with uh, with the metals, the, the raw cognitive ability of those children is far superior than the peer group. And it appears that the allele that defines the inability to excrete Let's metals mm-hmm. is the same allele, that the same polymorphism occurs in the same allele that defines raw cognitive ability, meaning it, that it's only affecting our cognitively superior children. And, and this is not something that I just pulled out of thin air. I have said this for the last 10 years because I've made that observation and I've proven it. And you can't do it in a radio show, but you can do it in front of an audience, which I am going to do at the, at the big one coming up in early spring next year. Beautiful. All right. Well, stand by. We're going to take a break. We'll be back to wrap up Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. Check out all the links, including to his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. If you haven't gotten it, get it now. We'll be right back. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Show. 
Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, wrapping up Advanced Medicine Monday today. What a discussion. Intense stuff. Uh, recoveries from autism. Uh, the doctors that don't get it, the doctors that do, the moms that certainly do. And we have a question here coming in uh, through the website. Uh, it's a question of the day, I'll call it. It's very complex. Uh, we'll see what we can rush through here. But this is from Anna. She says her coworker Chantal, is an avid listener of the show. And uh, she mentioned uh, she's got some issues. She said, hey, why not ask you guys? All right, so here we are. Started with a pain in the upper abdomen about an hour or so after eating. She was vomiting almost every day. Not even changed her diet or anything. And, uh, you know, this kind of thing, it raises a lot of questions. And as a homeopath, I can go a hundred different ways, but I would want to ask more questions of this person. She even went in for x-rays and showed nothing. Was it a virus? We don't know. We speculate. The GI doctor couldn't find anything. Here, take Prilosec. Is it your gallbladder? I mean, you talk about a question where you're left scratching your head. I want to help this lady, but I don't know if we can do this on the radio, but even... Uh, coming, in. I think that this is this is this is a job for the head map. Yeah, yeah, it would be. This would be a, a perfect type of question for the head map because, you know, there's a lot of historical components here, and there's also a lot of interactions of what she's done, what her symptomology is, and where actually the problem could lie. And you know, one thing, of course, we know that we can't help a person on the radio. We can only kind of point in the right direction, but we can't give any medical advice. And of course, we also know the FDA listens to us, so. Uh, (laughs) yes that's right but yeah that's a good point and and Robert before we even tackle this I just want to uh, apologize to the listeners because one thing is that I think because sometimes we get constrained with time we seem to really in a very uh, almost violent way change subjects you know that's probably not the right Mm -hmm. word but very abruptly no I understand what you're saying yeah so so hopefully that doesn't disorient people a little bit but you know we went we do cover a lot of different things in here so I just want to apologize if we quickly abruptly made changes between the break but this question came up and and Robert you wanted to take the question so you know the best way the best thing that I would suggest is this individual wait for the head map which is only literally like days away from being released uh, at least in its at least in its initial form that will give us an indication where people can take the questionnaire and get an indication of where their issue lies um, it's been independently assessed at about a $300 value nobody will ever have to pay for it it'll be completely free um, and the person can take it on online anytime they want. And then, of course, if they want to then partake in the recommended protocol, then there is a cost associated with the protocol that they would take to rectify that solution. But there is no cost to take the question and at least get an idea of where the issue may lay. Right, right. And I look at and I read what this is. And it's it, the question is in the show notes. So if you want to read it, it's very – there's a lot of things going on. And the fact is this woman has gone through – the medical route, and they're all scratching their heads. And, you know, is it this? Is it that? Is it? So this is the idea of the AHEAD map. And when we went through it at the last Advanced Medicine Seminar in Charlotte, I mean, the detail, the the the, the logarithms, I don't even, it's, it's quite astonishing. So it's like it was made for a case like this where everybody's left scratching their heads. You go through this assessment program, and now you have a definitive protocol you can actually work with that will actually bring the results you need and of course it will tweak as needed right too. it'll change based upon how the patient's own symptomology changes but the key point to remember is all about detoxification ahead stands for advanced health evaluation and assessment for detoxification so all we're doing is facilitating the body's ability to get rid of things that shouldn't be there and map stands for medical assessment program it's really what i've been using in my practice for the last uh, 15 years 16 years and now we've just put it into a neural network but it is designed to help an individual understand 
where their problem lies in their pathways of detoxification. It's not designed to give you a diagnosis because, one, you can't do that, and two, it's not meant to do that. It's actually designed to tell you what organ systems need support to detoxify your body, to rectify the solution because the power to heal is actually yours, mm-hmm. and so it allows your body to get the stuff out of the way that's preventing it from healing it on its own. Sure, and it's not to annoy you, Anna, or your friend Chantal who wants help. I mean, I could say, hey, you could try like an herbal formula like uh, Alta Health Products Canjest, which is gentle and safe to use. There's no problem with doing that. Uh, no problem with saying, hey, take a homeopathic remedy that addresses GI issue and gallbladder issue. No problem. But this AHEAD map will provide that road map, so to speak, with very detailed, specific things to navigate your way out of it. And that's the point that I wanted to relate with this question because I knew it wouldn't be something that we could responsibly give you a definitive answer for your friend, but it was a perfect setup, I believe, to help you understand that there's a new system coming out shortly that will allow you to answer this very detailed questionnaire completely confidential. It's like not like no one, no one else is going to see it and start broadcasting it out there. The, the point is it's for you to utilize a pathway out of the mess you may be in, like this description of your friend Chantal. And, uh, the one thing that I think is important to mention too, Robert, is it's literally millions of calculations to establish what the protocol is ideal for the person because there's inner relationships between the questions, the protocols, the symptomology, the prioritization, and the various organs of detoxification, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's millions and millions of calculations just for one individual. And a person will be able to actually look and see how many calculations were uh, conducted in order to come up with what their issue is. So it's not a, you know, it's based upon a neural network that's evolving as it continues to be used. So it's very, very mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, ex- extraordinary. Well, that about wraps it up. Another fascinating edition of Advanced Medicine Monday. My head's spinning. I need a, I need a remedy for dizziness. <laughs> we, we did abruptly change topics. And again, I appreciate you mentioning that. But yeah, we like to get a lot of things out there. And sometimes uh, the calf paths of the mind, uh, as, uh, as they are with us, uh, will cover some subjects deeper than we anticipated initially. But another great, great program. Uh, go to medicalrewind.com if you want to hear any of the archives. And Dr. Batar, it's, all we're left to do is say, you know what? And it's the God's honest truth that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.